Thursday is not a long day. It, it can it, it can be long. It depends on the person. The first thing we do Thursday is First Timothy, First Samuel. Oh, you want to do that one? Okay, I forgot about that one. Okay, First Samuel fifteen. 22 and 23. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And you know, every time that Saul sinned, it cost him big time. First, it cost him the throne. The second, it cost his kids sitting on the throne. And the third time, God said, I'm taking your life. Um, when we make choices against God, we often don't realize the long-range consequences of those choices. You know, we have people in serious trouble that come, you know, waiting to be sentenced, that kind of thing, for what they've done, not knowing how long they're going to be in prison. And we're talking about good people that made some very wrong choices like that, and they're in serious trouble. Now, this one is rebellion. Rebellion is always against authority. Disobedience is always against the rules, right? Say right. Right. Good. And then the third thing that God talks about is foolishness. It's just dumb stuff. And, um, you know, you could be driving along and drop something, you know, on the floor, you reach down to get it and plow into the car in front of you. That was stupid. Foolishness. Shouldn't have looked down. I shouldn't look down. That kind of thing. You know, talk to somebody and go through a red light because you didn't see it or that. That kind of stuff is foolishness. But disobedience is, is you know, you're driving the car and I said, and I uh, do say this, you know, the speed limit here is whatever. And uh, the idea is we go a little bit faster. We get there and we'll get there quicker. And um, then they may pay the consequences if they get caught, right? You know, it's not, it's not, dis, it's not rebellion, it's disobedient. I know this is it, but I'm going to go a little bit faster. I'm going to do a little fudging here and there to get there. But rebellion is, and, and uh, you know, you say, you know, this is only 35. And then you say, I pay my taxes and no one's telling me how fast to drive. I'll drive as fast as I want. That is what? Clear rebellion. When you say the person in authority has no right to make rules. So when I would teach in Christian schools, and I told the teachers a lot of them were blowing it because when a kid broke the rule, they would send him down to the headmaster or whatever. And I said, don't do that. Whoever sees a kid breaks a rule should discipline him. Mothers want to really mess up kids to say, wait, your dad comes home. My mother said that. We used to pray for his, you know, not being Christians, pray to have a wreck or something. You know, who wants dad to come home? He's going to beat you when he walks in the door. 
That's not a very exciting thing. Wait till dad comes home. You don't want him to come home. Yeah. So whoever sees a disobedience needs to deal with it. But if a kid challenges mom, you have no right to do this. Or you have no right to say, I can't do this or that. They're challenging the right of the father to make rules, and that was given to them by God. That is a big offense. They've got you wait till your dad comes home. This is a big one. You are challenging dad's place in the family. God's given place in the family. And that's going to have to be dealt with. So if you, the, the hedge of protection is literally made up of five sides. Now, we kind of skipped that. Remember, Kevin talked about the hedge, and, and uh, Job could not be uh, dealt with without God's permission. But the hedge is made up of the authority structures. You know, you, the, obviously, is God over all of it. But the fort that I'm inside of has five walls, and one of them would be government. One of them, Bill disagrees with me, education. He says it's under the Father, but I still believe education because there's a governmental issue to it. You know, whenever you're in education of some sort, even here, you know, I'll, you know, I'll go take that class. I'll show up, you know, when I want to or whatever, and I'll get up when I want to. But when something says get up at a certain time, go bed at a certain time, and you will be there at a certain time, that's an authority structure, regardless of whatever you want to call it. And rebellion is always against what? Authority structure, you know. So education, uh, family, work, church. Oh, a church doesn't have authority. Oh, really? They can turn you over to Satan. That's, I think, quite a lot of authority. We were in a church service where a boy was turned over to Satan in a church service. Very few churches do that. He got a girl pregnant, and he was not repentant. And they had on a Wednesday night, and our church on Wednesday night had at least a couple thousand there. And uh, the pastor got up and delivered the boy over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And the parents got up and said they stood with the pastor that if their son could do something like that and not be repentant, they felt that they failed uh, in training their boy in a proper way and so on and for the destruction of the flesh. i would never been in a service like that, and mom and dad were behind it. Wow. So the kid would get his life turned around. And the girl that got pregnant was unsaved. He was going to the Christian school that our kids were going to, and I was teaching in Kansas City, the girl that got pregnant got saved and went to the Christian high school and got up and asked the kids forgiveness for being immoral with this guy, even when she was not saved, and how that it may have brought some type of reproach upon that school because he went to it. The boy never did, but she did. You know, it's... And a lot of people, let me tell you, a lot of people thought, wow, <laughs> you know, if maybe I better straighten my act out or I'll be the next one, you know, from the pulpit with my mom and dad up there, you know, in front of all these people delivered over to Satan because, you know, I'm telling my folks they can't tell me what to do and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's interesting. In Jerusalem, we don't have many accounts where they stoned a kid to death. I don't think you'd have too many of those. You guys been Northwoods? Okay. You know where the pile of stones, you know where they where you speak, where they made that arena for me to speak? They didn't make it for me, but I speak there. And the kids, two or three hundred kids, boys would sit on a log, on logs. And this one year I went, I couldn't believe it, they had 
There's a pulpit built up. It's in the trees, and they're sitting on a hillside on logs, and there's two great big piles of rocks. You know, some people have flowers, you know, by the pulpit. There's, I mean, boulders, two piles of boulders. So I got up there in front of the kids, and I said, how many of you kids have been here before? I said, well, these kids know what these rocks are about. How many of you kids haven't been here? They raised their hand up. I said, all right, I want you to know, under those rocks are two kids that were speaking last year when I was talking. <laughs> you know, you just, it doesn't take, you know, kids learn real quick when they see this a hand sticking out of the pile. I wish I had one of those rubber hands. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I love working with kids. I have a fun time. <clears throat> but rebellion is really serious. It really is. And remember, we need to put this with uh, Romans, um, what is it, 11? 13. Romans 13. Go to Romans 13. Because this is another area. Because remember, everything we're talking about has what? Satan in it or uh, the enemy. Somehow, every one of these principles we're talking about, uh, ground issues, the enemy's in there. Rebellion is like the sin of what? Witchcraft. What's witchcraft? People who voluntarily open up to demonic spirits. They call spirits to empower them. We have kids come that have done that. We had one boy that came to see us. He was so spooky, the parents put locks on the inside of their bedroom doors so he couldn't get in. Now, how would you like to go to bed at night to lock your doors to keep your son out? This kid had was calling spirits in his bedroom with skulls and blood and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I'd lock my door too. I think I'd put him outside and lock the door. You know, But I mean, they were scared to death of their son because he was doing what? He was calling on spirits to empower him, to give him power and all this kind of stuff. That's what that what he was talking about there, witchcraft and so on. It was like divination. Okay, read Romans 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that are are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, you can read more than that, especially if they have no idea. If they've never, you know, if, a, if your counselee has never heard of the authority structure, and I mean, because sometimes it isn't taught anywhere, then you need to go on and talk about how they're ministers to God and all that. But the thing we're looking at here, when you shove away God's authority structures, God says you are going to receive to yourself what? Damnation. Doesn't sound too good. And so what we have to do then is to find out, is the counselee shoving away God's ordained authorities? So then what do we have to have him do? If Kevin is doing that, he needs to pray and ask God's forgiveness, right, for doing that. And he needs to place himself under all of God's ordained authority. I never have a kid pray, I will never rebel again. You know, as soon as he prays that, you know what's going to happen? Every demon in Indianapolis is going to visit him to put pressure on him to what? Rebel. So, or I'm never going to lie again. Don't have kids do that. I want him to say, Lord, I need your help to get under all of the divine authorities you brought in my life. Rather than, I will never. Also, in counseling, and I will come back and haunt you if I die. And that is... Don't ever have kids or counselees make vows. 
If you're in a meeting and they say, you know, all those that make this vow, stand up. I'm going to sit down. What did God say? Let your vows be what? Few. Few. And I already made a vow. Wilt thou have this woman to be your wedded wife? I made one. You know, God said it's better to do and not vow to make a vow and not do. Let your promises be what? Few. And so some people always want you to raise your hand, you know, vow this, vow that, vow whatever. I'm not going to do that. If they say, would you raise your hand because you purpose in your heart that you want to do this or do that. I'll do that on purpose. But I, when you make a vow, the enemy will do everything to get you to break the vow. I went to hear him years ago as a pastor, and he said, uh, I think you ought to raise your hand if you'll pray five minutes a day. Do you remember that? And so I thought, well, as a pastor, I, I think I ought to do that five minutes a day. It wouldn't hurt to read the Bible five minutes a day as a pastor, I don't think. So I raised my hand. And I went back, and I was, oh, reading the Bible five minutes a day, and then, well, I got busy. You know, pastors are busy, and beating kids and chasing the wife around the house and, you know, and all those kind of stuff and going out and getting offerings and things and um, forgot about it. And then he came back to town six months later and it was free. Well, I might as well go back. It's free this time. So I'm back and I'm sitting there and see, the first time I heard it was in, was in a, a Lutheran church. The second time it was um, First Presbyterian and, of Seattle and I was sitting in that church about a vow and how God will destroy the works of your hands. I'm going, oh no, it's going to kill my family. That's what it's going to do. <laughs> you know, the works of my hand. What did I care? Tear the church down? <laughs> that was a church I was miserable in anyway. I was ready to get out of there if I had a way out. It was the most miserable church I ever pastored. Uh, talk about painful, that church was. And uh, But I, to me, it was like, God's going to destroy my family. Now, I'm not saying God's going to destroy your family. I'm, I'm sitting there, and that's what's coming into my head. And I'm going, what am I going to do? I didn't keep the vow. What do I do? And boy, I'm telling you, when the break came, I knocked down three old ladies and four guys on crutches. What do I do? What do you do what? I said, well, last time you're here, I raised my hand to pray five minutes, and I haven't done it. What do I do? He said, we owe him 10. I go, oh, brother, I better get like this. I'll be praying. I'll be reading my Bible day and night you know, if I don't get with this. So I paid my vow, right? So I read. So be careful. I mean, I realized with me, and I've had kids say, oh, I was at a meeting here, and they had everybody raise their hands, or everybody stand up, and I, if I sit down, I really feel funny, but I didn't feel like I should stand up, but I stood up. You know, it wasn't God. It was peer stuff. And see, peer pressure is wrong for God as for evil. You know what I'm saying? You need to let the Spirit of God do it. Yes? A woman. I don't remember children. I hear a woman. Okay. Let me tell you this. A woman came to a friend of mine who's a pastor and said, what do I do? I vowed to read the Bible an hour a day. And this woman had four or five or six kids, and she homeschooled. And they were little. And... Uh, I mean, she was killing herself, trying, you know, trying to get it in. Five minutes here, five minutes here, adding it up, and then at night staying up till she got all that up. And so she said, what do I do? And he said, well, did your husband know? He said, my husband's not a Christian. He said, well, did your husband know that, that you made this vow? And she said, no, he didn't know. And he showed her where it said that 
that he could disannul a vow the day he heard it. So she said, oh, praise God. So she went to her husband and said, you know, I made a vow and um, that I would read a Bible an hour a day. And she read where, that God said he could disannul that vow. And he said, well, before I do all this religious stuff, when did you make that vow? She said, well, you know, two months ago. He said, well, since the last two months, you've been a better wife. I'm not going to disannul that vow. <laughs> and she said, oh, please, <laughs> disannul it. I'm not, not going to read scripture. But that was, there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible an hour, but I can't do it every day. Anyway, he disannulled her vow, but I thought that was cute. Um, <laughs> So that what Kevin would do then is pray and say, Lord, I realize that, you know, these are drained authorities, especially if there's an authority that he's struggling with, that, you know, that you put over me, and I need your help to honor that authority and stay under it. So, you know, help them to pray a, a kind of prayer that they can fulfill with the authority prayer. Okay, so that one, we don't usually have too many people that struggle with rebellion that are adults. It's more kids that come in than have the rebellion thing. A lot of the adults have worked that through, and they don't have that problem. But the next one is 1 Timothy um, chapter 3, and this is where Paul is commissioning Timothy. Chapter 1. Or chapter 1. Uh, commissioning Timothy for ministry. And... Um, 18, 19, and 20. Read that, Kevin. This charge I command to thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. So he's putting this in what kind of a context? A warfare context. Timothy, and Timothy, some of the theologians believe, was to be going to be the pastor at the church at Ephesus. Well, can you imagine pastoring a church where the temple there is considered by architects today one of the ten wonders of the world, starting a storefront church with, you know, all the immorality, all the stuff going on. I don't know today, but when I was with CEF, there was not one church on the cutting edge in Rome. There are other places in Italy where, you know, Protestant churches are really doing well. But I still, there may be now, but I know at one time, and not that long ago, there was no real major church in Rome. They kind of have it sewed up. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like it's heaviness. And so uh, I can imagine how difficult it would be to go there. And so Paul, if, he, if that was the place where he was going, and I think it was, then he's saying, Timothy, I want you to be successful. You're going to go right into a major battle here to plant a church or to be the pastor of the church, the first pastor. What's he say to him? holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Okay. Um, some of the translations that make it a little easier uh, give a lot of help here. But Hymenaeus and Alexander had to be believers because you don't turn unbelievers over to Satan. They already belong to him. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who redeemed out of the hand of Satan and are put into you know, the hand of God. The second thing is, you, they shipwrecked a life of faith. So, you know, they must have had faith to shipwreck. 
So here they were believers, and whatever they did, Paul considered blasphemy. In some of the other translations that you read, you will see it makes it a little clearer that what Hymenaeus and Alexander were teaching and doing was in verse 19, what she didn't want Timothy to do. And they were saying faith and a good conscience were not important to a life of faith. And Paul considered that blasphemy. Remember, blasphemy is not bad words. There is a Greek word for bad words. Blasphemy is the teaching they were teaching. What they were teaching is blasphemy or teaching against is blasphemy. And so Paul said, Timothy, don't do that. When you want to be successful, take faith and a good conscience and you won't shipwreck. And so we've already had the person two days ago go and make a list of people that maybe they need to go back and clear their conscience. Now, a scope of a clear conscience is in Acts 16.24, where Paul said, I exercise myself always to have a conscience void of offense towards God and man. Now, we had the person write down the names of people that they thought they should go back to and the basic offense. Otherwise, you could get pages of what they did. But what was the basic offense? Then we go through that list and say, we tell them, are there people on that list that you really wonder about should you go back to? Many people say, oh, yeah, I should go back here and there. But are there people that you're thinking that maybe you should go back to? And so they began to um, they check those. Now, there's sometimes, and they're always clearing your conscience as rule of thumb. Because any definite thing you say, in all the years I've helped people do this, and I've helped people weekly clear their conscience, there are exceptions to the rules. There are. I don't believe it's right for a man who is now married to go back to an old girlfriend who's now married to confess immorality to her husband. He may destroy the marriage. A guy married now does not want to hear an old boyfriend calling his wife on the telephone. God knows that. You know, you're not here to destroy marriages. Just you know, let God know you're sorry, but to go back, I, it, it'll do more damage. You're trying to clear up something. And how do you know that, that the, this husband knows that you used to date this girl and you were immoral? He may not know. Do you really need to clue him in? No, you don't do that one. Um, and I will tell you this. Don't force someone to clear their conscience, though you know it's right, but they're not sure if they should do it. Am I making sense? Because if they go and it backfires badly, they're going to blame you. It wasn't God that was pushing them. Now, you explain the truth, and they've heard all of that. It wasn't God. It was you. I was sharing clear conscience, and I have to be careful because it's on video, and I won't tell you where or when, but I had a doctor hear me. And the doctor came to me later and said, I'm in trouble. And I said, what's your trouble? And the doctor said, I cheated on my board exams. And I said, oh. He said, I really need to turn my license in. And I said, oh, you just built a new office, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And you just had it paved with blacktop? You know, paving blacktop can cost as much as a new office. We're talking about being in debt for a whole lot of stuff. And um, you're going to go to the examiner, the top examiner who examined you for your being board license, 
and you're going to tell him that you cheated on the exam and throw your license down so he can pull it. And I said, are you sure? I mean, have you considered what's going to happen? Now, I mean, I wasn't like sick him to, ah, get him, ha, ha, do this. I said, have you thought about what's going to happen? You need to let the person think. Have you thought about what's going to happen? You know, it's wonderful when all your illustrations, everybody lives happily ever after. But what about the illustrations where they were thrown into prison when they cleared their conscience? You know, think, oh, yeah, I won't get to prison. This won't happen. Wait, I don't know what's going to happen. You better be sure it's God and not Logan that, you know, that God is doing it, and then whatever happens, happens. So I was a little bit leery about this guy doing this. And he said, well, I said, well, pray about it. Be sure, realize what the consequences are going to be. Be sure that God is telling you to do this. He said, I know it is. And this guy was one of these, you know, gung-ho characters anyway. And so I said, well, well, we'll pray for you. Let me know when you're going to go, and we'll pray for you. He went into the, the guy who had the board exams. He threw his license down. He said, what's that? He says, this is my license to practice. Why'd you throw it down? I said, well, i got to tell you something. It's important. He said, when I took my board exams here, I cheated. And he said, don't worry, we all cheat. Here's your thing back. <laughs> but he didn't know. You know what I mean? He did not know that was going to happen. But I take my hat off to him. See, would you, would you be willing to lose your house, your car, your business, the only thing you're trained to do? There's nothing else you could do except maybe garbage or something. You have no other training except, you know, cutting it out and throwing it away. That's all you know what to do. Would you be willing to lay it on the line to have a clear conscience? It's awesome, isn't it? You know, and so when you sit with someone, a lot of it is not what? Earth-shaking, life-threatening, or whatever. But I know others that clearing their conscience could have meant a prison sentence, and I wanted them to think it through before they did it, that I was not pressuring them, that they had to think through, do you realize what this can cost you? And then, if you do and you feel God wants you to do it, we will pray, go with it. But I've seen people almost force people to do it, and it went wrong, and they resented the person that pushed them. So I don't want to get in God's road, but I'm not going to be the Holy Spirit either. That's not who I am. Am I making sense? Can you understand? You know, we need to share the truth. We want to be sure that the person understands. And would it be proper to go back? And if there's consequences, have them think it through first. And then if they're going to go, pray for them and pray that God will do it. I'll tell you one that really backfired. A guy was going to clear his conscience because he took his wife for granted. The, the thing, how he showed her that he loved her is he came home every night. That's about it. He just was non-communicative, not, I mean, talk about a dud of a husband. He would be a good example of what a dud looks like. And so he said, you know, i got to ask my wife's forgiveness. I've taken her for granted. She was so sweet. And he said, I've never tell her I love her. You know, I just, I don't know why she puts up with me. And he had uh, pretty good money. He owned a number of stores. And I said, well, since you, you have a lot of money, why don't we set this up really good? They lived in a, like a gated community, except there was no gate, just one way in and all around a bunch of circles, but only one way out. And they lived about the first house in. And so often trucks would stop and want to know, Cal, how do I find so-and-so in this place or whatever? So I said, what we want you to do is I want you to, to buy a dozen long stem roses or two dozen, you know, in a box. 
the big red bowl about it, and have it delivered to your wife just before you come home. Well, you're going to set this romantic thing up. It's going to be wonderful. So we're both excited about it. And he called me. I called the florist. They're going to send it. Oh, I'm just excited. So this guy drives up, rings the doorbell. He's got this big box. And um, he said, uh, here. And she said, no, you're looking for someplace here. No, this is for you. Isn't your name so-and-so? She goes, yes. What in the world? She goes in and she you know, pulls the bow, opens it up, and it says, love Jim. And she goes, Jim who? Oh, no. It's Jim. What has he done? Oh, what has he done? It must be awful. You know, it's the first time he ever gave her anything. It must be terrible. So she is just stewing. He walks in and she says, just tell me. Just let me know. I, 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 can't, I can't stand it any longer. Let me know. What? Well, the awful thing you did. I mean, why would you send flowers? He started laughing. That's not funny. <laughs> he totally loved it. Oh, don't ever do that. I almost had a heart attack. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes it works great and sometimes it backfires, you know. And we've laughed about that and she laughed about it. But, um, but they need help. Sometimes my help isn't too good. But they need help in clearing their conscience because people sometimes lose whatever. And sometimes they need to go. Kids need to go to their parents. They need to let the parents know what's going on. You know, a girl's pregnant. She needs to go and tell her dad. She needs to know. We had a, a guy that sat in my class in college on spiritual dating that was dating a girl from another Bible college, and he heard that if a guy has intercourse with a girl, he's to go to the girl's father and tell him. So he comes to see me, and he said, show me again in Scripture. So I show him. That if, and the father decides whether they get married. She was not pregnant, but he took her virginity. And he said, man, this is hard. And I, well, he said, I want to be a pastor. And her father was a pastor. And, um, and I said, I'm sorry. And he said, we never intended. But things got out of hand because they didn't date on a spiritual level. They dated on what? Physical. Got out of hand. And he went to her father. Talk about gutsy. I'm wonderful. Prayed. He went to the Father and said, I need to sit down and we need to talk. I need to ask you forgiveness. But I have taken your daughter's virginity. And I feel very, very bad. He loved her. They were engaged. And he said, I know the Bible says you can call off the wedding or whatever you do, I will do. And whatever I need to do to try make amends, I, I, I will do it. And the Father said, telling me this, has put a knife in my heart. But telling me this, you've gone up in my book. He said that you're, even though you failed, you're a man of integrity that would come and to share with me what you've done. And they had a stronger relationship because he did that than they did before because he honored him. The dad did. Not honored him for what? For the evil he did. He honored him for owning up to it and facing it like a man, and going to the dad and asking his forgiveness. And they were married, and they had a wonderful ministry as a couple. And it, it, it's wonderful, but they corrected what was wrong. Now, the dad could have said, you can't marry. That's it. You know, it's my position, and that's it. And the kid would have gone with it as much as he loved her. 
Um, so we'll go from clearing the conscience and we go to moral failure. Moral failure is a great big one in our office and dealing with because the majority of fellows that we deal with are men and when a man is really under the enemy influence moral failure is going to be part of it sometimes it's all of it and then sometimes the moral failures if these guys go make it right there could be a prison sentence and that's something that before the Lord that they're going to have to do Remember, I don't pressure people to do anything. I share what? What God says. And they have to decide what are they going to do with the instructions of the Lord. We've got to put the authority back in the book, not on the counselor. You know, i got to push you. i got to force you to go there. Yeah. You have to do what God does. We go to Romans 6, and we'll just read through how we do it, and I'll... I'll have Kevin do it and stop him here and there and, um, and just show you what, how we do this. But um, I would never do this in a demonstration for real. Never. With men in front of women or women in front of men, I would never do that, ever. Um, start in verse 12, Kevin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Kevin, the word lust really just means, in the Greek, strong desires. It can be used negatively or positively. Galatians says the spirit lusts against the flesh. And that's not a negative thing, that's positive. But in the context, obviously, this is negative. A negative thing, this lust, these strong desires. And he's saying here, let not sin, therefore reign. And we're going to take this passage and narrow it to just one kind of sin, that's sexual sin, because Kevin, I think Romans 6 lends itself to sexual sin better than any other passage I know of. Now, the word reign to me speaks of a king on a throne. And when I let the sexual part of my life sit on the throne of my life, I'm in trouble. Because what's going to happen, Kevin, is that sexual part of me is going to send out strong impulses, like a king sending out edicts that we call lust. And it's going to be saying, obey these impulses, obey these impulses. Now read verse 13. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Stop. Because we're not going to look at the positive thing, because if I'm struggling, Kevin, sexually, then I'm not doing what the positive part, I'm doing the negative part. And so he says, don't yield your members as instruments unrighteous unto sin. So when I let the sexual part of my life sit on the throne of my life and it begins to send out all these lustful uh, uh, feelings and drives and all of that, the only way, Kevin, I can fulfill them is by using my body parts to do so. And God said what? Don't do it. Don't do it. Now, as I begin to choose to use my body parts to carry out lust, all of a sudden, 14 is going to kick in. Read 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. So, Kevin, the thing that I was choosing to do is now beginning to dominate my life. I'm moving from choosing 
to something much deeper and much worse. Read 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey. Stop, Kevin. I want you to go back and read that and realize the word servant there is slave. Would you read that again? Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves slaves to obey, his slaves ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death. Stop. So we see, let's go back. I allow the sexual part of my life to sit on the throne of my life. It's sitting on the throne. It's sending out these strong desires. I begin to yield my body parts to carry them out. All of a sudden, what I was yielding is dominating me, and now it's no longer a choice. 16 says, I'm a slave to the thing I was choosing to do. Keep going. Down to verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Stop. Kevin, for many years I read this and never looked up iniquity unto iniquity. I didn't get it, so I skipped it. But one day, a number of years ago, a fellow who had been a missionary came into my office, sat down, and said, Logan, can you help me? My perversion is perverted. And I had no idea what he was saying. How do you pervert perversion? You know what he was saying? That in his sin, he drew a line. And everything up to that line was okay, but I will never do what? This. And when the demonic forces become involved in this, somewhere along the line, the enemy gets involved, you keep stepping over lines and drawing lines. And I'll tell you, the guys that come in that are in sexual bondage to my office will say, that is the story of my life. God is writing my story. I can believe how descriptive the scripture is of where I am. Because what's happening now, I'm doing what I said I would never do. And I can't stop. And I want to go deeper and I can't stand it. And many guys have said, if you can't free me of this, I will kill myself. I had a father call. I believe it was this year. Gaskell would remember. I, when you get my age, you know, one year is as good as the next. That was recently anyway. And this guy had a gun to his head while he was talking to me. And he said, Logan, if you can't help me, I am going to pull the trigger and kill myself. And ATI did. And I said, if you're going to pull the trigger, please hang up. Because I don't need to hear a bang. You know, I don't need to hear that. It will bother me terribly. You know, if you're going to do it, then pull the trigger. But I didn't think he would, because why, if he's going to pull the trigger, why call? Why not just go ahead and pull the trigger? But I had a, a medical doctor. I put a shotgun in his mouth and was going to reach down and blow his head off, but thought what it would do to the kids, and he called me and came for counseling. And so we've had people, you know, right on the verge of killing themselves, or others sit in the office, look and say, I can't live like this, because... These drives are killing me. I, 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 when I look in the mirror, I cannot. I can't look at myself. I am so evil. I am so wicked. I am doing what I said I would never do, and I can't get enough, and I'm going deeper with this. I just can't handle it. I can't live like this. And that's what he's saying here. Iniquity unto iniquity. How do you know when the demonic aspect has gotten involved in sexual defeat? when there is eroticism. That sexual feelings 
to the max. Much more. It's not just it's not just the sexual feelings. It's beyond that. And when it gets there, you can't fulfill it. It's like throwing logs on a fire. You don't want to go there. And one of the best things the single guys here could do is to get more freedom before they get married. Because marriage does not solve a lust problem. Does Because most of the people we see are what? Married men. Christian dads that are in sexual bondage. I can't stand what's happening, but don't know how to get out. They're trapped. So a guy's in bondage, gets married, he's still in bondage, then it's secret. Magazines, the internet. I can't tell you how many dads are on the internet and so on. Um, we have some women in bondage, but very few. Most of them are really discouraged. I want, I want you gals, I want you guys to know something. And I'll be very blunt. It's very difficult for a Christian woman to be intimate with a person she doesn't respect. All right, ladies? Yes. Very hard. And you need to be, you single guys need to be the kind of guy that a woman can respect. And you'll have a wonderful marriage. But we know people that bring all kinds of weirdness into the bedroom. And that right there, you've wound the spirit of your wife and the spirit of the marriage is over. It's no longer there. She may do her duty to God and country because it says so in Corinthians, but something just went out of the marriage. And I, I mean, I'm, I'll hit the, any teenage guy with this. You know, I don't Mickey Mouse around. I don't want to see these guys destroy the potential of having a Christian marriage, what it could be. But they destroyed it before they got married. When I taught spiritual dating at the Bible college, you know what the girls said? They would rather date unsaved guys than Christian guys because Christian guys was like dating an octopus. And unsaved guys treated them with more respect than a lot of Christian guys treated them. And they were glad we were teaching guys about how to date on a spiritual level rather than on a physical level. And how to revamp this whole dating thing because dating doesn't work. Dating is a Western culture thing that's destroying our country and every country that follows it. It's not biblical. And even courtship is sort of like dating. I mean, it depends. Don't get me into courtship either. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to tell you how to do it right. When you have all these courtships going on the rocks, and I was only engaged once in my life. I mean, some of these guys have courted three and four times. They're going, wait a minute, let's put the brakes on. There's something screwy with that guy. I never asked four girls to marry me. Of course, I wasn't a mature Christian. Maybe I didn't realize. I only asked one. I'm sorry, but don't get me going. You'll be, I'll preach here in a minute and make you raise hands and, and, and make vows. 
Okay. <clears throat> Read 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Yes, by this time, often, guys are crying. I mean, it maybe didn't do it to you, but if you're in bondage, you go through this, and they're going, oh, God is reading my letter. I mean, he, this, God is seeing where I am. This is what he's saying. What do I need to do to get out of this? I'm in bondage. Been in bondage since I was five. What do I do? How do I get out? And we have them. This is what we do. We pray and ask God to take them back to the very first time they violated God's moral law. When was the first time that you did something that was sexual, that was wrong, and you knew it was wrong? And most of the guys in bondage was about five years of age or before. We're talking about guys in bondage. We have kids doing very weird sexual stuff, five, six, and seven. And they start and they tell us what it is, not details, but tell us its name. Did David have sex with Bathsheba? Oh, I'm sure the Bible would never say anything like that. Does it? Did they? Yeah. So if a guy has been immoral and has sex with somebody, it's not defiling me to hear him say so, or I better not read this book. I don't need to know the details. Do we have the details of their encounter? No, just what happened. Because confession can bring what? Healing. Because all this stuff has been what? Crammed down in secret. We don't want details, just share. And they walk through their life where they begin to add pornography, where they did this, when they begin to add twists, when they do this. There's nothing that you can do with a physical body that we haven't heard over and over and over and over again. We're limited with evil because we're people. Yeah. And they know that I'm not going to reject them. I love them. Guys, sometimes they're crying. You know what I do? I scoot over and hug them. They put their head on my shoulder and weep on my shoulder. And I'm holding them and loving them while they're confessing all this stuff and weeping over their sin. Thank God. You know that They're not caught. They're not caught at all. They're just cleansing. And you know, tears can cleanse the soul when they're able to weep over the evil that they've done and look at it. And when they get all through, they've prayed all through everything they need to pray through, shared everything they need to share. They ask God to put it all under the blood of Christ. And now we go back, and now what do we do positively? First of all, we did the negative stuff. We got rid of it, got rid of all the evil that the Spirit of God brought to their mind. It's all been confessed. Now let's go back to verse 12 again, Kevin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Okay, go to 13. Neither yield your members as... Uh, positive. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Okay. So we're to yield ourselves to God, and we're to yield our members to God. Okay. 14 says what? For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Under God's empowering, right? We're not to be empowered by sexual sin. We're to be empowered by God so that sin will not dominate my life. The, the bottom of 16 says, Be obedient unto righteousness. Read 17 and 18. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became ser the servants of righteousness. 
Now remember, when it says free from sin, you must go back to where it's first mentioned. So we're sure we know what he's talking about. And it goes back to verse 14, and it's talking about sin's domination. Do you see that? It's important. He's not saying that we'll never sin. You know, now I pray I'm free from ever sinning. No, but from sin's domination. As a believer, no sin should ever dominate your life. Do you hear that? No sin, sexual, any other kind of sin, should dominate my life. That's not what God has called me to do. He's called me to be what? Holy, right? To walk in holiness. I don't have to have any sin dominate my life. Okay, Kevin, uh, read the next verse. Even so, now you'll remember servants to righteousness unto holiness. And the last verse, verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness in the end everlasting life. There's something interesting here in Romans 6 that's so different from Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your what? Bodies. Present your body to God. Okay, now Romans 6.13 and Romans 6.19 says, present your members to God. What are members, Kevin? Body parts. So I'm to yield my body parts to God. It's different than my whole body in one lump deal. Now, another thing, if you have a marginal note, it's very interesting in 13 where it says, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. If you look in the marginal note, or if you have a Zodiades Bible, go back and look up instrument in the Greek. It's a weapon. My body parts can be a tool in the hand of Satan. They can be a weapon for righteousness in the hand of God. Often we never thought of that, do we? It's just whose hand are my body parts in? Who's in control? The Spirit of God or, or the enemy? But he said, don't you realize... Your members can be a weapon for righteousness. And then what we have him do, because he's confessed all the evil, now what I have Kevin to do, uh, he's not going to do it, but what I would have him to do, if he's my prayer partner, I want him to dedicate his body parts that is used as an instrument of righteousness, unrighteousness, and put them on the altar. I want him to dedicate to God his mind. I want him to dedicate to God his eyes his ears, his mouth, his hands, that he might lift what kind of hands to God? Holy hands. That he would dedicate to God his sexual parts, that they be used as God intended. He would dedicate his feet to God, that they would go where they ought to go. And he would dedicate his uh, sex drives to God and put them all on the altar and give them to God. And, I and then they pray. And they pray through that and dedicate those things to God. After he's dedicated his body parts to God, I ask him to go to 1 Corinthians and read 1 Corinthians 6. Now, if he's been with prostitutes, I go up further from the bottom to 1 Corinthians 6. But if he hasn't been with prostitutes, because the scripture says, a man that visits a prostitute, his feet are on the paths of hell and will never be the same since. Why? Because demons can transfer sexually. When you become one with a demonized person, that demon can transfer to you. That's why his feet are on the paths of hell. That's why it isn't because he lost his virginity. 
if he lost his virginity, why does it say a girlfriend? You know, he said, no, a prostitute. He's on his feet. His feet are on the paths of hell. So if he's, let's, let's go, if, if Ken had been with a prostitute, let's go to the prostitute part of this, and I'll show you if he hasn't where to start. But if Kevin had, had been involved with prostitutes and all this kind of stuff, go to verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Okay. So he's saying that when we are involved in with a prostitute or immorality, that we become one with that person, and there can be a demonic transfer. And they see that, and they go, wow, I didn't know that. I said, yeah. First of all, you knew it was wrong, but you didn't know some of the consequences because you may have got something worse than a communicable disease. You may have got a demonic spirit, and there's no pills for that. Now, let's go on. Now, if he hadn't, we start in verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Now, if you have any other translation, outside of maybe the New King James, they blow it here. And I mean they blow it big. The word fornication, if we go to the Greek, gives us a better idea what he's talking about. The word fornication is what word? Most of you know it. Pornea. What is the English word we get from it? Pornography. Fornication would be any kind of sexual looseness. It's not a relationship with a... Uh, what? If I have a sexual relationship with a married lady, it's adultery, the world. If I have a sexual relationship with an unmarried lady, it's fornication. No, if you look at a dirty magazine, it's fornication. Anything... Uh, uh, a TV program that would have lewdness on it. That's fornication. God says flee anything that is sexually what? Wrong. That's what he's talking about here. Anything that would be immoral, anything that's wrong sexually, flee that. Why? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the I'll Holy Ghost? Go, go back and read flee again. Flee. You mentioned it. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Yeah, flee sexual looseness. He that committeth sexual looseness, anything that's sexually loose, sins against his own body. What's wrong with sinning against your body? Go on. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay. So he's saying, don't you know that your body is God's temple? Don't defile the temple. Then, we're getting right now down to the nitty-gritty end here. So that should read, flee sexual looseness. Because the Bible is fornication. And the, the old King James is fornication, which is pornea. And pornea is more than just having a relationship with someone. It's much broader than that. See, they're taking a very restrictive, they need a broader one. Because you're looking at, you start looking at immoral stuff, pretty soon you're going to be committing immoral acts. And the immoral stuff is wrong. 
Okay? Now, we're getting down to the end. And I'll ask Kevin, is there anything that you haven't prayed through that you thought we'd prayed through before we came to this? Is there anything in your life that you feel that we have not dealt with this week that you thought we'd deal with? No. And I've never had anybody say yes. But I still want to ask them. Because if there's something they think we ought to deal with, then I want to deal with it. Right there, we'll pray about it. You know, because in clearing your conscience, if they're stealing, then that it's going to come up there. Or clearing the conscience, they lie a lot. See, a lot of that will come up, you know. Or they're angry and they need to go back and ask forgiveness and that kind of stuff. Okay. Then what we do is I have Kevin um, bow his head in prayer and I begin to pray against all the generational stuff. So we're coming down to the very, 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 very end. I pray against all spirits that may come to him generationally, the iniquities of forefathers, any kind of a curse that may have been put on that family that is transferred onto Kevin. And I want to be sensitive to the spirit. I don't want to just run through a prayer, you know, uh, and I may not, I want to include these things, but I may not say it every week the same or every twice a week the same with somebody. Uh, any kind of um, blessing that may have been put on the family that wasn't. You know, sometimes they get blessed by a medicine man or blessed by a shaman or some kind of blessing that isn't right, that, that would, God would cut all of that off. And, um, oh, I tell you, we didn't, the beginning, we didn't even go there. But the very beginning of counseling, if they've done any occult stuff, they confess that. Occult stuff, drugs, and alcohol before we start with bitterness. They've already confessed tarot cards, fortune-telling, you know, anything that they've done that way, that's all been dealt with before now. It was dealt with at the very beginning. And usually then, I'm sorry, uh, usually then I pray, Any, I stop and say, let's pray, any demonic spirits in or around this person that are here because of occult involvement, I command you to leave now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to go where Jesus Christ sends you. Because I don't want them interfering with dealing with the other stuff. Because remember, he said that really opens you up if you're trying to get guidance, power, whatever from demonic forces. I want to be sure that's all cleared up. Any drugs, alcohol, that's all wiped out before we did all the counseling we've done. Now we're at the very end. So we're praying about all the generational stuff would leave. Um, okay. I'm getting tired, so I'm trying to think hard. I, I pray about the soul now. And I do it this way. I pray any demonic spirits that are attacking his mind would leave him now and go where Jesus Christ sends them. They have no right to be there. He's dedicated his mind to the Lord. They need to leave. Any demonic spirits that have been playing with his emotions and using his emotions to keep him defeated, I command those spirits to leave him and to go where Jesus Christ sends them. And then any spirits that have been focusing for him to make decisions against the will of God, to leave him and to go. I pray that if he had any religious activity that allowed spirits to come into his life, that these spirits must leave now and go where Jesus Christ sends them.
Then, if Kevin had a real problem with perversion, I would pray any perverted spirits would leave and go. If he has a spirit of anger, you know, I would pray, is there a spirit of anger? Just, you know, what's gone on in his life to go. Or he's a tremendous worry and fear and panic attacks. Well, God has not given us the spirit that causes fear. So I'll pray against that. If there was a presented problem that he came with that didn't fall into the general categories, I will pray now against that spirit. So I don't run through a whole list of all kinds of spirits. It's what he's dealing with. If he's a worrier and fear and all of that, we'll pray against the spirit of fear that it will leave him and go and get out of his life. He has no place there. Yeah. Um, and then we pray any spirits associated with his physical body would leave and go. That his body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and we acknowledge that and any demons connected with his physical body must leave him now and to go where Jesus Christ sends him. And we've had people healed at that time. I didn't even know until afterwards that God healed them because it really was a demonic attack physically on them, which I had no awareness of. Well, that, I don't have to be aware. God knows. So anyway, we pray against that. Then, remember I had them do something we haven't done with it yet. I don't know if you picked it up. There's something it's, we got a loose end. And remember, that was the areas of his life that he needs to yield to the control of God. Remember that? I told him to make, to go home and think about that. Any area of your life you don't want God to control, Satan will. Go home. What are the areas of your life you need to yield to God? And we said he had two. He was a brother and a son to start with. And then he said what? Music. And so we pray through all the areas of his life and ask the Spirit of God to come in and to take control. And we say, Lord, we know that your word says to sweep a vessel and leave it empty is dangerous. And we're asking that your Holy Spirit will come into all areas of his life and take control. And he's lit the areas. And so we go area by area, invite the Spirit of God to come in and take control that truly Kevin would be a Spirit-filled Christian when he leaves the counseling session. Now, we still don't know, is he free or not free? You know, he didn't flop around before he came. He's not flopping around now. You know, and so how do I know if he's free? Because I can't see these things. Now, some kids will tell me they're leaving or whatever. But that's, that doesn't happen real often. So what we do is we do a thing that I like to do. Usually I sit right knee to knee and I hold the person's hand while we're praying this. You know, as we pray through these things. Sometimes there's a lot of tenseness in their hand and my hand. That's because there's a battle going on I can't see and so I pray more about that area. There's something really trying to, you know, really giving him a struggle or whatever. Then after we pray through all of that, ask the Spirit of God to fill him, come into all areas of his life, all the doors thrown open, no closets, no drawers. Remember, God's got this little thing. It's all open to the Spirit of God. Then we ask God to give us an inner witness that he's free and that we accomplish what God wanted to accomplish this week. And this is what we pray. I pray, and this I pray exactly the same every week for everybody. I thank God that Jesus said, that 
he would give us a peace that the world could not give, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Father, if Kevin is free, I pray right now that you would give him in his heart of hearts the peace that Jesus said was rightfully his as a child of God. Then I pray, Father, I pray that Kevin would have the peace that was promised in Philippians, for you said that your peace was to guard his heart and mind in Christ Jesus in Philippians 4. And then, Father, I pray that for in Colossians 3, that the, you said the peace of God is to rule in our hearts. And I pray that you would give Kevin right now that your peace would rule in his heart. And I pray this, God, I know the word rule means an umpire. The word rule means a determining factor. And Father, if Kevin is free, then I pray that your spirit would bear witness with his spirit with your peace and a sense that all is well with his soul. But if we miss something, Father, I pray that that peace would leave and you give Kevin a check in his spirit. I'm doing all this for praying. And often teenagers say, stop praying. So why? It got dark. Or I got, it got bad. I'm feeling really good and now I don't feel good at all. I said, do you know why you're not totally... No, I don't. I said, okay, let's pray. And I pray, Father, you know what they have not yielded to you. You know what area of their life they're still holding on to. Reveal it to us. And guess what it usually is? What do you suppose it usually is that's keeping a teenager from having freedom? Music. Absolutely music. I said, how do you know it's music? They said, well, the music came in my mind. Or I saw a song, but somehow God lets them know. I don't see anything and I don't hear anything, but they do. And I say, what are you going to do about it? You know, I'm not here to force a kid to do anything. Do you want to walk out of here with the enemy having an opportunity to have a hold in your life? Or do you want to put it all before the Lord? You know, are you willing to yield your music to the Spirit of God? And they think about it. Because they were holding on to it. They know, you know, all we're talking, they're holding on to it. Are they willing to put it on the altar? Or their girlfriend? And the stuff they're doing on dating. I've never seen them on a date, but the Holy Spirit did. You know how you could be sure courtship's okay in the car? If the kids realize there's three people that go on a courtship date or any kind of date. The boy and the girl in the front seat and Jesus in the back seat. And when they remember Jesus in the back seat, don't worry about the front seat. It's when they forget, right? That he's back there. They're in trouble. So they pray. Whatever the Spirit, and we pray again, Lord Jesus, if that's it, flood them with your peace. And I'll pray again. If not, I don't want to be deceived. So Lord, I don't want to be deceived. And I don't want Satan to give us a false peace here. Lord, I want you to give your peace. And often there's peace or there's, it's almost, it's almost. Well, let's pray. What's the almost? I mean, kids are real honest. You know, they, they just want, want you to know. And then we pray again. And maybe it's something that seemed insignificant to them. Maybe it was clothing. But it was clothing that folks did not want them to wear. 
and they were really battling with their folks or had some of it hid away or who knows what it is. You know, it could be anything. And we, and then when it's gone, and often kids will say, you don't need to pray. Man, I, you know, I feel wonderful. And it's gone. And we do this on Thursday. See, this is a Thursday thing. Now, if we have a lot of mess up during the week and a lot of demonic stuff, then this won't happen to Friday. But usually we do it Thursday. They come back Friday and we run a test. We pray that very same prayer. And I have never, in 25 years of counseling, ever had anybody who was free on Thursday not be free on Friday. They come in and they say, well, I feel good. The best Western used to always drive people up to our office and back again. Pick them up, bring them up, take them back, bring them up, take them back. They're not doing it anymore. There was an old man that did it. And he said this to a couple. He said, I don't know what they do at that place. But boy, I'll tell you, when the people leave on Friday, they sure don't look like when they came on Monday. They look happy. So it must be good stuff. <laughs> Had no idea, but he could just see the difference in the countenance of people when they come and when they leave. I mean, when you got a bunch of garbage in your life and you can dump it in the office and Jim has been taking out the garbage because Kevin's gone, Kevin's going to be taking out the garbage. They take out a load of uh, trashy stuff every week. You know, you can't see it, but they sweep it out the door, <laughs> you know, down the hall, let it go down the hall. Um, but it, it, it's the most wonderful thing when a person says, I'm free. People have said, I've never felt like this. The last time I felt like this that I can remember is when I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I just feel clean. Or I sense God's love. You know, it's hard to put it in words. That's why I use peace. Because it's easy to sense a lack of peace, you know, when in peace. It's, it's one that it's very easy to determine. I don't have peace or I do have peace. Um, and then which we won't do, but it's in your notes. Then on Friday, as we said, it's mop-up. Basically on Friday, we teach the armor of God. And we give them three armor prayers. We may go through each piece of the armor, answer any questions they have, and it's really kind of a laid-back day. Because every day is sort of intense. When you have demonic issues in your life and you're being counseled, I mean, some people, when they leave the office... Hulks of guy go back and conk out on the bed. They are drained because of all of the emotional stuff going on inside. And so Friday is just a wonderful day, and it's a laid-back day. And often they're not there for the whole three hours. But it's there if we need it. What do you want to say to them? What do you got any ideas about what we do? And did I leave stuff out? And you're listening before we quit. I don't think so. Um. I would encourage you as much as possible to have a prayer partner with you because the, I mean, it's wonderful to have people praying for you, but it's wonderful to have someone in the room praying against enemy involvement in a person's life, watching it and nipping it in the bud before it happens. You sense something is going on. And what you can do is, I'll do it, what are you thinking right now? There's something not right. And I'll ask them, what are you thinking right now? Or what's going on? And I need to pray and bind those forces 
that are giving them a problem. You're saying, can you really bind them? Then read binding and loosing out there. Yes, you can bind them. We have authority to bind the enemy who's trying to blind the mind to truth or steal the word out of the heart. Because we're not going to get very far with a counselee if they're not getting it. And kids get it. We have little children get free. And they know their kids know right away they're free. So the darkness is gone. That badness has left me. I don't hear the voices anymore. I don't feel that awfulness anymore. I really feel good. I said, good, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you feel good, you know.